If you have um, children, you can send them back. If you want to keep them with you, you can do that. Thank you guys for being patient with us. Uh, how many of you guys were here at the worship night? Anybody? So this is what we're going to do again in April, but we just, instead of me interrupting at all, we just keep going. And uh, I apologize for that. Um, so welcome. If you're new here, um, bear with me. I'm not the shortest preacher in the world. If you get tired of listening to me, you can leave at any time and there's no judgment here. We understand I'm going to try to make it as concise as possible, but I'm trying to wrap up a section of a series, and you're jumping in midstream with us, and, um, and so um, please do your best to follow along, and um, I just want to thank everybody who serves in this house before I get started. If you, if you serve in any way, um, I, just, I just really appreciate you guys. This, this wouldn't happen without you, and... Uh, you know, somebody was talking about, you know, the presence of the Lord in the building and how we, the Lord is here every week. And, and I made a comment at home group. I said, you know, you probably better find the intercessors in the church and thank them because they're the ones that break through things in the heavenly realm. And you probably don't know who they are and you probably need to know who they are because they're the ones that are ripping apart things in the spirit and they're probably the most unassuming people you'd ever meet as far as when you see them, you're not gonna think power, but Jesus thinks that. And so uh, thank you all who pray, who really pray. I, I do thank you, the rest of you who constantly think of us and say, Lord, bless them today. And that's appreciated, but real prayer is much deeper than that. And thank you so much. Um, I honor you, and I bless you in Jesus' name. And I want to um, talk about something we talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, we're, we're approaching the, the time of year where love showed itself in its greatest form. Um, Resurrection Day. This Friday is the day we have set aside to recognize the crucifixion of Jesus And this is where love was defined. And I've been a Christian a long time, and I know that a lot of people have their own ideas of what love is. And most of them are wrong. A love that benefits you is not love. A love that is defined by you is not love. Love is a person, and he gets the right to define himself. Love is giving to someone who is not worthy of receiving. The people that you have around you in your life that you say you love, they're people that you have chosen for one or the reason or another to get along with. Because usually they can give you something. They offer you something. Jesus didn't say love your own people. He didn't say love your family. In fact, when he taught us to love, he said it in the context of those who are vehemently against you. It's funny that we have to teach on love and marriage because that should be the easiest thing. So for Paul in Ephesians 5 to address the church and say, love your wives, husbands. <laughs> that should have been understood the fact that he had to say it means we're so far off the definition that we need to start somewhere when Jesus taught it he didn't say love your wives he didn't say love your friends love your disciples he said love your enemies you know how you can determine that when if you're a guy maybe you're walking down some street or store and some other alpha male bows up on you and is like what What's your response? See, what your reaction is is what you're really made of, not your theology. Your character is who you are, not your systematic approach of Scripture. 
So I want to talk about Ephesians 5, where we at, verse 23-ish. We've been on love for, this is the fourth week now. Because when you're trying to talk about love, you're trying to talk about the, the eternality of God, and that's something nobody has the right to touch. So I have felt extremely inadequate <laughs> to talk about this. But there's a part of the love of God that we don't like. So if you're visiting this morning, you happen to show up on the hard message. I'm sorry, that's not my fault. Divine destiny did that, not me. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the difference between phileo and agape, and you're welcome to go on any kind of social media platform or podcast platform, type in Proclaiming Jesus and go back and listen to those if you'd like to. But the kind of love that, that Jesus is currently is not the kind of love that we actually believe. I want you to understand this, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, yet at the same time, God shows himself in different forms and facets because we can't understand all of it in one go. If God would reveal himself in entirety in one moment, it would completely obliterate all of humanity. So he has to give us who he is in segments and pieces because we can only handle parts of who he is. And that's exactly why eternity is going to be so amazing because you're never going to get bored with the revelation of who God is. Ever. He will continually unfold himself to us and show us a reality of him that we never thought existed and blow our minds forever. And just when we think there is no more to this man, he yet opens another place to himself, completely leveling us. Because love is not something that you can exhaust. It's only something you can eternally experience. I've always said that love is not meant to be understood. It's only meant to be experienced. To be encountered. So I want you to understand this, that when you read your Bible, you're reading Jesus in the New Testament. If you're reading the pre-cross Jesus, that's one form of his expression to us. But do you realize that's not the guy who's coming back? He showed us the lamb. And we think that's all he is. And many of us only have a relationship with one part of God. Not the entirety and the whole. Because the guy that's coming will challenge your definition of what love is. When you see him do what he's going to do to the nations, you're going to think that's not the love of God. And it is. It is. It will be. Every act or expression of God is an expression of his love. Even the pre-cross Jesus, there are so many things that he says, so many things that he did, so many things that he accomplished that would not seem to us to be love. But every act of Jesus, pre-cross, post-cross, is an act of love. Every word out of his mouth is the defining moment and factor of love. You and I don't get to determine what love is, yet ironically, that's all we do. Do you know how many times as as a pastor of 25 years, I've had people tell me, that's not the love of God. I'm thinking, you don't even know the God you serve. Because love in your mind is is preferential to how how it makes you feel. You think love is some cotton candy spiritual pixie dust. And it's not. Love is a person who has an agenda, who has a kingdom to be established, and he has order and rule, and he has a place for you in it, but it's not your way. And we don't get to define him. It's amazing to me how many Christians do not read nor study their Bible. They say, I'm approved of God. No, you're not. The Bible says this, study to show yourself approved. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you're approved. It means you're accepted. There's a difference. The laziness in Christianity. I won't do it to you, but if I go, to, if I go places, sometimes I'll ask, how many people in this place have read the entire Bible? Very few hands ever go up. 
Yet these are the same people that have theological opinions on why they disagree with certain parts of it. And it's like, how can you even talk about this when you haven't studied it? I have people who are like three and four years old in the Lord and, and they never read their Bible and they say, well, I just disagree with you, pastor. And like, well, show me where I'm wrong in scripture. Well, I have to study it out. The fact that you have to study it means you don't know what you're talking about. And they don't think certain things are love. Do you know that there's a whole generation of modern Christians that don't believe in the fear of God? Because they can't wrap their, their immature minds cannot wrap their head around the toothless grandpa of love and fear at the same time because they've created an idea of who God is based on one revelation that he's shown us and not the entire whole of who he is. And they refuse to grow in his, his revealing power and his nature because the, the former glory he revealed, they're stuck in it. And that's the essence and the epitome of a religious spirit, to be stuck in one move of God and never move into the next. Every church, every name, every doctrine, every denomination started with God moving in a house. Yet they refused to move on in any other reality than what they perceived. Jesus said, follow me. Because he's constantly moving. People have this insulation against conviction because they've had this moment in time in the past where God touched them. What's he doing today? I don't know, pastor. I'm confused. I don't know the call for my life. But so many people ask me what the will of God is for their life. And I'm like, you know, the Bible tells you what it is. How come you haven't read it? No, I mean, am I supposed to go to Africa or India or Europe? Why don't you try doing the first part first and then see what the second part comes later? You know what the will of God, the Bible says, is? It's your sanctification. To be sanctified, to be set aside for one use. That's the will. So what's the will of God for my life? It's the circumstances you can't control. Why? Because it says, it gives thanks in all things, for this is the will of God in, in Christ Jesus concerning you. In all things, the things you can't control, this is the will of God. Does it feel like love whenever this will comes into your life and God says, this is my will for you? Does it feel like love when those things come? You guys are quiet. In fact, you're rebuking the devil away when many times you're actually rebuking your father. Because we haven't been trained well enough in the spirit of God to know when he's moving, when the devil is. Do you realize the devil wants to make everything easy for you? Because if he can keep you passive and lazy, you're of no threat. So the devil will open doors in your life that you will call God just to get you away from the plan that he has for you. People say the devil doesn't have power. That's a big bunch of baloney. He has no authority, but he does have power. And if you submit to that, you're a slave. I didn't say that. Jesus did. Oof. I'm not going to get through it, guys. I'm sorry. Matthew 24. This is all predicated on this idea. Husbands, love your wives. We need to know what love is so that way we can begin to know how to love appropriately. So ladies, I'm sorry, but this morning I'm going to address the men from the standpoint of that fatherly love. Now it is, it is not supposed to be the entirety of the relationship. Let me put that little asterisk there. You don't use the difficult part of love all the time, but it is sometimes necessary. And when that difficult part of love comes out of a man of God, women, I promise you this, I promise you this, you will not like it, you will not want it, and you will fight against it. Because that's what we do to God when he speaks that type of stuff to us. You ever had, had God come to you and say, I want you to do this? And you're like, man, I don't want to do that. And you start trying to barter with him and he shuts up. And you're like, man, God's not speaking to me anymore. It's because you are not obeying. Which means you're not in love. Well, I love Jesus. No, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I ask you to do. See, we think love is an emotion. We think Holy Spirit is an emotion. He's not a feeling, he's a person. God is not an emotion. Love is not an emotion. Love is a choice and a covenant. 
That's what love is. Do you think Jesus felt like going to the cross for you? No, we know he didn't feel like going to the cross because we have a Bible that tells us he tried to get out of it. When you have to love people a hard way, it is not fun for you and it is not fun for them. Listen, when someone tries to love you with the love of God that is difficult, trust me, if they're doing it correctly, they don't even wanna do it. How many parents like disciplining your children? You guys enjoy that? But it's part of it, isn't it? You think God likes doing that to us? Do you think God likes chastening us and rebuking us? No, but his word says, I chasten and rebuke every son that I. He says, and if you're not being chastened, you don't have the love of God in you. Correction is something the church is very, very bad at taking. Why? Because correction in somebody who doesn't receive it. Listen, let me say this. Offense is the fruit of deep-rooted pride. Because in your mind, you know better than that person who's talking to you and you will not receive it. And what if God is speaking through them and then you get to heaven and God and you say, shake your fist and you say, you never told me. He says, oh yes, I did. You just didn't like the vessel. We're okay if God speaks through us, but we are not okay if he speaks to us through someone else. Especially if it challenges our idea of what love is. Matthew 24, 10, many will be offended. This is Jesus talking about the end times. Many will be offended. Has that happened? Oh my gosh. You can't even like brush your teeth without offending somebody. (laughs) Serious. Don't you know that fluoride's killing you? It's none of your business. I gotta die anyway, you know? Staying here longer, that's for your sake, you know? I'm good with where I'm going. Many false prophets will arise. Many will betray one another and hate one another. And many will be deceived. Why? Verse 12, so important. Because sin will increase and the love of many will grow cold. You know what that word means? It means to grow cold. means to be by process of evaporation. In other words, it's something you don't see, but it happens. You set a pot of boiling water on the stove and you walk away and pretty soon it's all gone and you don't know where it went. Over time, your love begins to grow cold because you are not refilling it. You are not staying in it. Process, heat, tribulation, trial begin to evaporate the love out of your life until you're nothing but a salty old crotch. Just just crotchety old man. We met him, right? Jesus says this, that in the, in, in the end, many will be offended. What are they gonna be offended by? He already told us when he told us the parable of the sower, right? He says, these people receive the word of God, instantly it comes up, and then trials and tribulations happen because of what? The word's sake. They're offended at the word of God. They're offended at Jesus and how he operates in their life because they did not expect him to act that way and that can't be God and if that's God, I don't want anything to do with him because they've created a God in their mind that only services their emotions and if he crosses that line through anybody else, then that's not the love of God because I get to define what love is because I'm all-powerful, all-knowing, and omnipresent. And I was there when he created the worlds. You see how silly that sounds? But that's exactly what we do. There are everybody in this room at some point in your life, everybody in this room, at some point in your life, you have accused somebody by saying, that's not love. And it probably was. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs, it says, faithful are the bruises of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. But you know what we'd prefer? Tolerance and the kisses. We love Judas more than Jesus. Are you with me?
Matthew 13, 55. It says this. It says, this is, Jesus is teaching here. And, it's, and these guys are listening to him. It says, isn't this the carpenter's son? His mother called Mary, his brother, James, John, Judas, Simon. His sisters, are they not with this? Where has this man come from and how does he know all these things? Verse 57, and they were offended at Jesus. Jesus said to them, a prophet's not without honor, except in his own house, in his own country. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. They were offended at Jesus. Can you imagine being offended at Jesus? And we do it all the time. You know those moments in in your life where you're like, why God? And you're shaking your fist at him. Those are moments of offense. We're offended at how he's acted and what he's allowed. And we want to understand it all. We want to know it all. The problem is you'd have to be God to be able to do that. And if you understood the way God understood, you'd be God and he wouldn't. Therefore, he would cease to be God and you would. People say they want all these answers and stuff, but they really don't. Because if you actually had a God that you could understand, he wouldn't be God. God reveals and reserves for himself a level of mystery. Because he's God. And you don't deserve the answers. My kids ask me questions all the time. It's like, yeah, you, you, I ain't gonna answer that. You don't need to know why we're going there. Why are we going there? It's none of your business. Get in the car. <laughs> but when God says that to us, <gasps> or if he, if he uses a pastor to say that, <gasps> that pastor doesn't have the love of God. So critical of leaders, yet we're so lenient on ourselves when we lead. How many perfect parents we got in here? Okay, we'll pray for liars next. Yet you expect your children to listen to you. Because you're perfect? Because you're in authority. Everybody wants to attack a pastor all the time because he's not perfect. But yet they expect people to submit when they're the one in leadership. But they won't give the same thing. Do you realize the process of reaping and sowing follows you everywhere? I have people that want to start ministries all the time. And they've never submitted to anybody but their own opinion and the voice they hear in their head. And then they wonder why when they get in their own ministry, nobody will submit to them. It's because you've never sowed seed to receive that harvest to yourself. And you wonder why people aren't changing and don't listen to you. You wonder why you work and work and work and work and work and work and pour into people and pour into people and pour into people and none of it sticks. They get touched for a minute and then they go right back to wherever they're going. You know, you, you minister out of the spirit that you create inside of yourself. And if you're ministering out of your human spirit, your gift, that's all you're gonna create and it will fall. See, our ideas of who God is, these people were offended at Jesus because they didn't think he was God and they didn't think God would show up that way. They didn't think love would do what it's doing and act the way it's acting and be weak looking the way it is. They didn't think the love of God was the cross. People didn't think that that was the love of God. They saw that as as hopelessness and loss and death and sorrow and difficulty. But it was the greatest expression of love that God gave the world. We define God based upon our limited circumstances and then we create divisions based upon our limited circumstances. Because we know best. Yeah, I mean, the Bible is chocked full of all kinds of good stuff that we never read (laughs) about how to live life together and how to submit to authority and how to do these things. Because none of us all have, none of us have all the answers. It takes a community because each person is an expression of who God is. And in order for me to experience who God is in your way, I have to have a relationship with you. And if you kick me out, I'm missing a part of God. Are you with me? 
See, some miracles don't happen in our life sometimes because we're offended at who God is in our life. Certain miracles that we're praying for don't happen because we're offended at how he's operating. We think, no, it shouldn't happen that way. My story shouldn't be like this. That person shouldn't have left me. That person shouldn't have hurt me. Oh, you want God to be a dictator then to them but not you? You want God to dictate them and not let them hurt you but let you do whatever you want hurting somebody else. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And then we blame God for the free will that we rejoice in just because someone used it against us. He says, no, when someone uses their free will against you, that is your greatest opportunity to love. Not to have this relationship that dots all your I's and crosses all your T's. That's impossible. There is no marriage on the planet where everybody or one person can dot every person's I and cross every person's T. It's not gonna happen. I've never met a woman in my life that was completely and totally satisfied with absolutely everything her husband is. Never. But they still love. Why? Because the Bible says this, love covers a multitude of, yeah, see, that's what it does, doesn't it? But how come we only use that in marriage and not in church? How come we'll never do that to the pastor because you know, he, it's, it's the, the, the weight of what people put pastors through is absolutely insane. Like, you gotta be perfect, but you can't be too perfect because then you're gonna think you're arrogant. You can't mess up pastor at all, but you, can't, but you gotta be human too. It's an impossible situation because people think they get to define what reality is. And when we start defining what God is outside of what God really is, you know what we do? We recreate God and we redefine love. In other words, we build our own golden calf. And we think if we were there in the Old Testament, we wouldn't do that. But do you realize the chaos that was going on when they built that golden calf? It wasn't just sitting here like at rest in peace and they're like, hey, Moses is gone. He hasn't been back in a long time. What do we do? We'll build a golden cap. No, the mountain was still on fire. Thunder and fire and earthquakes and things are happening everywhere around them. Darkness is all in the sky. God is raging on the mountain and they have the audacity in the middle of that experience to go, let's build a golden calf. Which tells you that being in the presence of God doesn't insulate you from recreating him. In fact, I say this all the time and it just seems to go right through people's heads that when God shows up in your life and when his presence falls upon you, it's not to condone where you're at. And we take it as that. Oh, the Lord's in this place. He must condone everything that's going on. No, <laughs> he's here to draw you out of where you're at and it takes presence to do it. But if you use that presence to, to, to think that God's condoning your reality of him, you deceive your own self. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 31, all of you will be offended because of me tonight. In other words, what I'm about to do is gonna offend you all. We, we talk about Judas getting a bad rap, but all of them were offended. Think about this. Does that sound like love to you? You walked three and a half years with this man. You gave up your family, your job, your livelihood, and you walk all the way to the end and he looks at you in the face and says, you're gonna be offended by me. Oh, brother, that's not how prophets are supposed to operate. Well, then tell Jesus that. Prophets are supposed to encourage and edify. Does that sound very edifying? Have you read Revelation? Some of you guys need to read that book and listen to how Jesus talks to those churches. It doesn't seem edifying. You read it and you're like, dude, is serious? The guy that's coming back is no joke. The Bible says he has a rod of iron in his hand. I don't know what you do with that. But a king that carries a rod of iron, he's not faking. It says he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. 
You think that's going to look like the love of God? It is. Peter, in verse 33, says, even though all these other guys will be offended at you, I never will. Not going to be me. I know you, Jesus, and I'll stick with you to the end. See, truth, Peter's truth about himself wasn't God's truth about Peter. See, Peter viewed himself differently than God viewed him. Peter was unaware of all of his issues. He was unaware. God knew them, and God called them out. I'm getting ahead of myself, but what happens later in the story? Jesus turns around and looks at his best, one of his best friends, one of the three, and says what to him? What does he say to him? Get behind me, Satan. Does that sound like love? Does that sound like edifying and encouraging and building up? Was Jesus being vindictive? No. What he was saying was is that love doesn't tolerate the presence of Satan in one's life. Love doesn't tolerate it in a marriage. Love doesn't tolerate it in a friendship. This is why in the New Testament, Paul unveils all of this stuff and he brings about church discipline, which we can't even do in America. Like it says, bring them up publicly before the church that they may be ashamed. That's what it says. When's the last time you've seen that in church? That's not the love of God. It is. We just can't do it because people are so sensitive to what they think love is. So many people are gonna meet God and go, man, I didn't think you looked like that. You think, you know, like you're gonna have this love moment between you and Jesus? Go read Revelation. John the Revelator walked with Jesus for 60 years. He was the youngest of the disciples. He had established more churches than everybody else. He walked with God, saw all these things for the longest amount of human life existence, and he was in exile. They tried to kill him, put him in boiling oil. It didn't kill him. They threw him off a building. It didn't kill him. They threw him into exile and prison work camp, and he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and God said, come up here, and he came higher, and he saw Jesus in an element he'd never seen before, and he fell at his feet as though he were dead. This is the one. This is a John. John did not have the desire to crawl up on Jesus' lap and put his head on his chest when he saw him. Everybody's like, oh, I'm just going to crawl in the lap of Abba. No. (laughs) What's going on at that throne? Freaked everybody out who saw it. John, the seasoned one, the one, falls on his face and he can't even get up. It takes God pulling him up. Many times we believe in ourselves more than God does. <laughs> and God's like, no, you're going to mess this one up. But I'm going I'm to help you fix it because that's what love does. You think you're going to start a ministry and do everything right? You think you're going to start discipling people and do everything right? No, you will hurt people. You'll hurt people thinking you're doing the right thing. How many times have you ever hurt your kids thinking you were doing the right thing, but you did it wrong? That's why we have messed up kids today because parents messed it up. They loved them too much the wrong way. They tried to be their friend and now they're at chaos and they're, they're idiots in society because there was no discipline because they loved their kid. No, you didn't love him. You have a special place of emotion in your heart that you call love, but love is God. And God does not allow rebellion in his house. This is why rebellious people will not go to heaven. Read it. Love doesn't tolerate sin. The American church does. We make exceptions for people. They get drunk on Saturday night, come to church, and we're just gonna love them. At some point, that love turns into looking at them and saying, you realize that drunkards go to hell, don't you? Doesn't matter your experience. It doesn't matter your profession of faith. It doesn't matter how many times God's touched you. It said those, it says drunkards will have their part and it burns with the lake of fire. I didn't write it, guys. Don't be, don't be mad at me. I don't like certain things in scripture. I don't, there's certain things I don't like about what the Bible says. I don't, it'd be so much easier on me as a pastor to be able to have to say something different. But I have to be there the one to say, look, you know, you're wrong. This is what the word says. 
And then, I, then they get mad at me for it. That's not the love of God. No, love is truth. Love tells the truth. Love doesn't lie. See, God here in the story challenged their idea of love. And all through scripture, God challenged their idea of love. Jesus never operated the way he thought. See it from God's point about what I'm about to say, but you can also see it from a point of maturity in us. But the mature people can love the immature, but the immature people only has a love for itself. So they see love from a mature person as a form of attack. I read something the other day, it was pretty good. It says accountability feels like attack when you're not ready to acknowledge your toxic behavior. Because you're blind to it. You're so self-accepting of it that you will not tolerate anybody getting into your business because you've justified it to yourself so long that you've made peace with the enemy instead of with Jesus and his people. And when someone tells you the truth, they are not showing you the love of God. And maybe they're actually concerned. Do you realize how much courage it takes for someone to, act, to get into your space? Like, they don't want to do that. They really wish you'd just quit. <laughs> I, mean, I remember, right? Have you ever had to, like, deal with somebody's toxic behavior? You're like, Dad, I just wish you'd just quit. We just stop. And you're not, and now you're hurting people, and, I, and now i got to say something, and I'm going to be the bad guy because you're a spiritual narcissist. And you blame everybody else for what you're doing wrong, and you turn it on them like it's their fault that, you, that they brought it. No, you're the one that's doing this. And you're the, you're, you're the one who doesn't love them. No, you realize how much courage it takes for someone to get into your business? You realize how much of a friend it takes for you so someone to slap you upside the face and say, Stop! What are you doing? You're killing your family. You're sowing seeds of destruction and you wonder why the enemy's in your life. And then you blame God for it all. See, God uses people to bring truth. Everybody wants Jesus just to tell them the truth. Jesus tells the truth for people. Do you realize that when God came to save us, he had to do it through a human? He does all of his work through human beings. But what we want to do is have our little personal relationship with Jesus and, and listen to some unrenewed voice in our head and call it God and disobey everything that everybody else around us is saying. Listen, if a pattern evolves in your life and a community of people come to you and they're like, this is wrong, then the voice in your head is not Jesus. I've had pastors tell me that God said it's okay to divorce my wife. Sir, you're listening to a devil. The Bible says he hates divorce. He never condones it. The only time he even gave an opportunity for that was because he said, you, got, you have such a hard heart, I can't even penetrate it with my love. Sin is so vicious that it treated God so horribly and tattered his body so terribly And it unloaded all of its hate in entirety upon one moment of humanity. The church doesn't understand how devastating sin and, and disobedience and rebellion is. But we create God in our own form. The God that's okay with our sin because he knows our hearts. He knows, our, he knows my motives. He knows I mean well. You realize you're creating another Jesus that you're worshiping? You realize in John 4, Jesus looks at the woman who's worshiping God and the Samaritan. And he says, you worship that which you do not know. I wonder how many people in church on Sundays worship the person they don't know. He's like, you don't even know me. You're worshiping your idea of me. You're worshiping the me that touches you to get you out of your sin. And you think that that presence is who I am. No, it's my power to pull you out of where you are. Being like Jesus is one of the most painful things you'll ever go through because you will be the sacrifice and the doormat for everybody around you and God will say, check your heart. Why do you feel so bad about being like me right now? Why are you expecting them to do your job? 
See, we're okay with love as long as it's our way coming to us, but we're not okay with love when it costs us to have to give. Because God's definition of loving somebody is being there for them when they're treating you so horribly that all of the psychologists tell you, get out. I'm not saying you stay in abuse. That's not what I'm saying. Self-deception is redefining God. To redefine God is self-deception. James says, be doers of the word of, of God. Be doers of the word. Not hearers only. If you're a hearer only, you deceive yourself. You have to do the word, not just believe it. You know how many times I can sit and listen to certain people that I know very well, and they talk very well on scripture, they talk very well on theological ideas, but their house is out of order, everything's a wreck in their family, they have no fruit in their life. All their theology is just pinpoint perfect. But when it comes to who they are, they're not doing what Jesus told them to do. They're not loving their enemies, they're full of pride. If somebody gets in their face, there's no humility there. Even if I'm wrong, I promise you, you ever come to me, it's like, I'll be like, hey, thank you so much for taking time out of your life. I know you care. You wouldn't care if you weren't being here. Even if I'm right, I'll thank you. Like, pray for me. If you're right, may God have mercy on me. But you know what I normally do is I'll, when somebody comes to correct me, first of all, there's a biblical understanding of how to correct people. So if somebody hasn't gone through that narrative, I already know it's not the Holy Spirit because Holy Spirit's already laid out the guidelines on how to correct a leader. And if they don't come into that narrative, that means they've never read the Bible and Holy Spirit will never speak something outside of the word of God. He just won't. So that tells me a lot right away. But if they ever do come in the right narrative in the right way, even if I'm wrong, I thank them. And I also say this, we don't, I say, look, how many, how many hours have you prayed and fasted for me before you brought this to me? How much have you been on your face before God for my behalf? Guys, usually the answer is zero. In fact, they just shut up and they kind of, their face falls. Why? Because it's easy to come in and just be like, I disagree with you. Like, well, pray for me then. Really pray. See, it takes relationship to properly understand what love is. Let me, let me give you a human element so you understand. My wife and I can joke about certain things with each other and chuckle and laugh because we've been married 20 years this May. But if I would have said those things the first month we were married, it would not have been good. <laughs> it would not have been good because it takes relationship to define love. And the longer you walk with Jesus, the more understanding you have of the love of God. And it changes, it deepens to where when somebody who's young and new in the Lord, they have no frame of reference for that kind of love. Can a three-year-old understand the kind of love that's shared between a man and a woman? The only love a three-year-old understands is love that feeds it. It has no ability to feed anything else. And as soon as you stop feeding that three-year-old, you know what happens? They start getting grouchy and complaining. And if you don't give them what they want, they throw fits. And this is probably 80% of the American church. You know how many times people church hop because someone hurt them? And they left because they were hurt? Whenever God was like, no, that's me giving you an opportunity to get over yourself. Oh, well, oh, I know, we're gonna go to another church that's perfect. Okay, let me know when you find it because I will join with you. Of course, as soon as I get there, you know the whole thing, right? It won't be perfect anymore. Psalm 50 verse 21 says, these things you have done God's outlining the sins of the nation. And God says, shall I keep silent? He says, you thought I was just like you. You thought I condoned these things because I didn't say anything. But I'm going to re rebuke you and correct you and set the case before your eyes. See, there's times in our life where God doesn't say certain things about certain sins because you're just too young to deal with them. But then there's other times where you, know, you develop this mentality that he's okay with that. Well, then all of a sudden he's like, no, it's time for you to grow up now. 
I've endured all this, I've stayed silent on it, but I'm gonna set the case before your eyes, you're wrong, you need to grow up. Doesn't that happen sometimes for like around five to six years old, they start, you, you have to start weaning that child out of that toddler age and you gotta start teaching them a little bit and it's hard on them because they've been able to do whatever they want and all of a sudden now there's restrictions and rules and guidelines and they're like, what's going on? This isn't the love of, of my mommy that I knew before. Why are you spazzing? Ladies, Sometimes that spasm is like, it's love. It's like, you're not, what's going on with you? You know, it's like, stop. It's love. It, does it feel like it to the kid? No. God would never do that. God did a lot of things that we never thought he would do. Do you realize that, and I know people use this all the time, but it happened twice. You know, Jesus cleansed the temple two times. It says in John 2, it says, when he made a scourge, which that word scourge is, is literally a Roman whip that they would use for public persecution or, or correction. They used that whip in public for punishment to show everybody, this is wrong. Don't do it. Jesus made and, and modeled the exact same whip that the Romans used to bring correction, public correction to his church. And if you would have been there following Jesus and he comes in and flips over tables and starts, you know, whipping everything, it's not gonna look like the love of God. But you know that's, how, that's what he does to the temple? Who's the temple? Uh, so you, you think you're gonna actually get away with a relationship with Jesus where he's not gonna bring a whip to your inner life at some point? Because you're wrong. In fact, he didn't correct their sin. He corrected their false worship. Think about that. The way they were worshiping was wrong. They forgot how to pray. Jesus called out sin. John 4, 18, you've had five husbands. The guy you're living with now, he's not your husband. Well, that doesn't sound edifying and encouraging, does it? See, this says, the Bible says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, how he lived his life, his death, his resurrection, his teachings, that's prophetic. John 5, 14, afterwards, Jesus found this man in the temple after he healed him and he said, go and sin no more. Otherwise, something worse is gonna come on you. Does that sound like sloppy agape? Jesus says to the woman, I don't condemn you, but do not do this anymore. Quit. See, love won't condemn you, it'll call you, but it will call you out of your sin. Love won't condemn you, but it will call you out of your sin. Love won't condemn you, but it will call you out of your sin. We think that love calling out sin is condemnation. We think that people call out our sin. Why? Because the culture has trained us more than the word of God has because we actually have, have been leaked into by culture that tolerance is love. Oh, it's so crazy. Check yourself. How much of that idea has got into you? That tolerance is love. Well, I'll just put up with it. No. Love doesn't put up with sin. It doesn't condemn. It calls out. That's what it does. If you see sin in, in your kids' lives over and over and over again and you don't ever call it out, do you really love your children? Do we father like Jesus? Jesus says, I rebuke and chasten those who I love. Are we fathering our families that way or are we giving into culture? Gentle parenting. <laughs> My father doesn't gentle parent me. And maybe, maybe I'm different because I'm a leader and I get double judgment. And that scares me, which is why I'd rather tell people the truth and have them be mad at me than God to be mad at me for not telling people the truth. John 8, 44, Jesus looks at the people who should be the leaders of the day and spiritual uh, 
reality. He looks at them and says, you are of your father, the devil. Have you read that verse? And the desires of your father you want to do, and he was a murderer from the beginning. And he doesn't stand the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks, he speaks a lie. He speaks from his own resources. He's the liar, and he's the father of it, and that's who your daddy is. Does that sound like love? You know what we want? We want preachers that, that itch our ears. We want TED Talks with worship. That's what we want. Somebody's gonna make us feel good about the direction of life we've chosen. <laughs> Everything I've ever chosen in my life was terrible. My directions were just way off. What about the time when he calls the woman a dog? Any ladies okay with that in here? You want to come before Jesus? He looks at you and goes, you know, you're a dog. Most of you would be like, I'm so glad that this woman showed what a true woman of God was. And she's like, yeah, but I'm your dog. You're not wrong. See, she agreed with God because Jesus' testimony is true. See, what we do is we get offended because we don't want the word of God to be true in our life. Someone calls us out certain things. We're like, you know what, bro? You are right. And I'm sorry. I, I need to work on it. Will you help me? Will you help me? Well, I don't see it, man, but I, I'll try, I trust you. You know, that's just why community is so important because the more you get to know people, the more you know that they're not in it just to screw you over. Like they're not there just to be bad on you and just to be hard on you. They, they, at some point, they're like, man, listen, we gotta talk. We can't keep doing this. I can't tell you how many people I've had to correct over the years after trying to build a relationship with them and it blew up in my face because they were so arrogant. They wouldn't even consider that they were wrong. And I didn't hit them hard. I went in low and I'm like, bro, please hear me. Jesus tells them in Luke, you're gonna leave me. Mark 8, 33, get behind me, Satan. The cursing of the fig tree. Remember when he did that? That's not the love of God, is it? It's supposed to take care of creation. He walks by, he curses a fig tree. He dies. That's not, love doesn't speak a curse. Love doesn't speak a curse all the time, but it does. You remember when Paul struck the man blind? Does that look like the love of God? You remember when Peter spoke against and cursed Simon Sorcerer? You remember when Paul says, I turned this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that way his spirit would be saved in the end? Have you read your Bibles? Now, is that the entirety of love? No, it's not, but it is a part of it. It's a part of it. Is correction the entire part of, of, of raising children? No, but it's a part of it. How about the allowing of John to be imprisoned? His own cousin. And then later on, Jesus has the audacity. Have you ever thought about this? Matthew 25, go visit the poor and those that are in prison. Yet Jesus didn't go visit his own cousin. He looks like a hypocrite. That doesn't look like love. You see, when someone has a religious spirit and they wanna criticize authority and leadership and Jesus and God and everybody in their life, there is enough operation in what God does to allow anyone to find offense if they wanna find it. Somebody could have looked at Jesus and said, you're a hypocrite. You're telling us to go visit those people in prison and your own cousin is rotting over there and you won't even go see him. It doesn't look like love, does it? Does it look like love whenever he let Lazarus die? Oh yeah, you know the end of the story, but they didn't, see? See, God moves in your life in ways that you don't understand because he's reserving for you a greater glory, but if you don't have the relationship with him that's there, that's needed, you're not gonna trust him enough to see the end because you're only stuck in the middle. But a person that knows the nature of father says, though he slay me, 
I'll trust him. Because it's not about me. It's about me being a sacrifice for him, for others. What about his own death? Did that look like love? See, we remake love, we redefine God. When you redefine love, you redefine God. Our culture doesn't allow space for true love. Our culture only allows space for tolerance, which means you have to accept everybody and everything they do. No, I'm sorry, I don't. And I won't. Never in my life, in Jesus' name, will I use pronouns. I will not do it. If that offends you, then I'm okay with that. I am sad in my heart, but I will not. Second Corinthians 11.4, I'm gonna try to close this on, on this. I got so much more, guys, but, oh. Second Corinthians 11.4, some of y'all need to read this verse. He says, you seen, this is Paul talking to the, to the Corinthians, and, and if you don't know the, the dialogue of Corinthians, Paul was rebuking this church very heavily. If you read 1 Corinthians in the Amplified, there's actually a couple times in, 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 in the scriptures where he, he kind of mocks them, makes fun of them. It's like, man, that's kind of harsh. Like, Paul was no easy brother. And he says in 2 Corinthians 11, 4, huge, huge, huge truth here. He says, you seem to gladly tolerate, there's that word, anyone who comes to you preaching a pseudo-Jesus or another Jesus, not the Jesus we've preached. You'll tolerate that, those people. And you've accepted a spirit and a gospel that we didn't accept, one that's false, rather than the spirit of the gospel you embraced, how you tolerate those who have become imposters. In other words, these people gathered to themselves people that they wanted to hear based upon their predefined ideas of what they wanted God to be. And Paul's telling them, you're worshiping a different Jesus. You're not worshiping the old one. You're worshiping the one that's okay with your sins. You're worshiping the one that doesn't call you to die. You're worshiping the one that doesn't call you to repent and to trust and deny yourself and to suffer and to humble yourself and bear the burdens of others and go the extra mile and wash their feet and heal their wounds and pray for them and love them like him. He goes on in 1 Corinthians 11, he said, verse 18, says, for in this place, in the first place, when you come together, Paul's talking to them. He says, when you come together as a church, I'm hearing that there's division among you and I believe it. Go, go read, do a study on New Testament division, how dangerous it is. It's, it's up there in the abomination sins. Division's up there with homosexuality, guys. So before you go judging the homosexual, ask yourself, how many times have I divided something in my life? Because it's the same category. He says, there has to be divisions among you in order that those that are genuine among you may be recognized. In other words, what Paul's saying is every time there's a division in the church, people get to see who's really real and who's fake. Because the way you're responding shows everybody what they say seems right, but how they are seems really And if we don't love one another and we don't respond like Christ, we're forcing people to choose some other argument other than our own because our character is not reinforcing the truth that we're giving. Does this make sense to you? If you read, we're in Ephesians, but if you read what Paul talks about in Acts and how he leaves the Ephesian church, he says this. He's, he says, when I leave, grievous wolves will arise from among you. There's something about an apostolic presence that keeps wolves at bay. But when that presence exits, all the wolves come up. Do you know, do you think, like, tell me that Paul didn't know who they were. Tell me he didn't know. He knew exactly who they were. And he says, but I'm gonna leave you to the word of God. I'm gonna leave you to Jesus incarnate in your midst. 
And he says, you need to be wary and you need to come together and band together as one group and one body so that way you can decide and figure out who these people are when they come because they're gonna devour you with a false gospel. He gives them this warning. And then in Revelation, Jesus writes to the church of Ephesus and he says this, you have left your first love. Husbands, love your wives, and they didn't do it. And Jesus, the rod of iron man, the lion, says, you better repent or I'm going to take your candlestick out of its place. You can take that to mean whatever you think you want, but here's what I do know. It ain't good. Jesus is serious. Love is serious. Community love is serious. Sin is serious. And there's something we have to begin to understand about the love of God that is not going to tolerate evil. The final act of love that God will ever show to this, to the judgment of this chaos will be to keep the rebel out of your heaven. The final act of love that he will perform would be to keep the drunkard, the rebel, the divisive one, the evil out of your eternity. Because heaven wouldn't be heaven if they were allowed in. There is a time where we see and experience the love of the lamb in our life. It calls us out of sin. It makes a sacrifice for us, a way of escape. Why? Because he knows that in time, he's gonna have to show a side of himself that if we aren't under the covering of that blood, we will fall under the covering of death. This is what the Passover meant. That death and judgment and destruction and chaos are coming. Even in Revelation, it says that God tells certain angels to go into the earth and put the mark of God into the foreheads of the saints so that that way they wouldn't be harmed for what's coming. Because judgment is coming. If anybody thinks that the return of Christ is close, then you have to admit theologically that judgment is not far on its heels. It is best to be judged now than to be judged then. What does the Bible say? It says that judgment begins where? At the house of the Lord. First Peter says this, if the righteous are scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Hebrews, talking to saved Hebrews, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. These are all scriptures for believers. And yet we think gentle Jesus, meek and mild. That's only part of who he is. We need a relationship with God as he is, not as we think him to be. And when someone tries to love you in their life and love you by showing you and telling you what's wrong, it's, it means they actually care. Guys, I don't want a bunch of people around me that are never gonna, they just let me go to hell. You know the difference between accusation and conviction. And somebody who really cares for you is gonna sit you down and go, bro, can we, can we, can we talk? Can we do lunch? Can we? Can we do this? Can we do this the right way? Can we have a moment? They're not going to be. You're so. They're not going to do that if they're doing it correctly. But that tough love will come in and be like, it will call out your sin. Like you can't do this. You can't feel this way. You can't have bitterness towards this person in the church. You're bringing division, and you got to stop it. You have to stop. Church discipline. Paul tells Titus pastoral epistles. Those pastoral epistles were never really for the, the average person. They were for leaders, but God couldn't figure out how to get them in without you seeing them too, <laughs> because it's part of scripture. But that, he says, he says, mark those, put a mark on those who cause division in your church and get them out. That's not the love of God. It is the love of God. It is. We just can't do it because we're tolerant Americans and we've redefined love and we've built our own calf and we're worshiping it every week. You can stand with me. Thank you for being patient. I'm sorry for going so long.
I know this wasn't the most encouraging message, but there's a lot in Scripture that you need to read and you need to understand and meet the man Jesus in the Bible before you meet him on the final day. There's so much of New Testament reality that God talks about. Oh my gosh, if you read it, it's just like, wow. I, I, there's such accountability. There's such, there's such strictness that God puts to his word. And people say that, oh, we're saved only by grace. We are. But that salvation by grace automatically causes obedience to work. To work out our salvation with fear and with trembling, the Bible says. To examine ourselves, to see whether we're in the faith. To look at your life and go, what destructive patterns are happening in my life? What circumstances that God keeps allowing to happen over and over and over and over again? I can't seem to get out of this, this hump. It's not you getting out of something. It's, it's you not recognizing what God is trying to show you what's wrong in you. I've had young women that just come to me just broken and they're like, I, only, I can only find just, you know, men that abuse me. And it's like, honey, it's you, it's not them. I know you wanna be the victim, but you're the one making the choice. And you're attracting that. There's something in you that isn't built and healed. And you keep going to these sharks and you wonder why you're getting eaten alive. It's in you. Get healed, get made whole, find your identity in Christ and you will find zero attraction to those men ever again. <laughs> Take responsibility, examine. If something's going wrong in your marriage and there's a condition that's happening over and over and over again, don't blame your spouse, look at yourself. Does it make sense? Get healed. Healed people don't jump into sin. They despise it. They hate it. They want nothing to do with it. Are you with me? I know this is hard, but I could, it could have been harder. <laughs> Truth is so sharp. It cuts. And it cuts for a purpose. Not just to wound, but to bring forth healing and separate what's causing the sickness in the first place. So Father, help us understand your truth and help us to understand your love. But yes, the kindness of God leads us to repentance. But after we repent, we have to live by the rules of your house. That you said, if you love me, keep what I'm telling you to do. Obey me. So help us, Father, understand your love and help us to understand that when you're chastening us, it's not rejection. The correction's not rejection. Correction is one of the greatest forms of acceptance that we could ever receive. Help us to renew our minds so we don't review correction as assault and attack, but we view it as care and concern and love. But Father, we do need wisdom. We do need wisdom on how to do it. We can't just knock people in the face. We do need wisdom. We do need to walk with them. We do need to be patient with them. We do need to be kind to them. But help us when it comes to us that we're able to humble ourselves, whether it's in our marriages, in our homes, in our churches, in our friendships, that when someone gets into our business, that they actually love us enough to say something. Change how we think, Father. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.